thank you very much for having me. It's always a privilege to be able to teach God's Word and uh, enjoy these types of opportunities where we get to come to a church we haven't been to before and meet meet new folks. I also like your setup where you have control of the air conditioner from right here. That's uh, that's really very nice. I just wanted to say a few things about your pastor. I was, uh, you know, thankful that he invited me to come here. Like, uh, like was mentioned there by Clayton, uh, we've been friends for about 10 years or so. My wife and I, with our kids, came to InterCity Baptist in 2001. Jacob and Jennifer were in our Sunday school class, so that's how we got to know them. And from that point forward, I've had a lot of interaction with Jacob. I've played football and softball and basketball with him, and uh, we had different opportunities through seminary to connect. And he he really is a great guy. I really am thankful that uh, the Lord provided this opportunity for him and for you all. Uh, They're a great family. We, we, we think very highly of them, so it's just uh, just great to see what the Lord is doing in their lives, and uh, I hope that he will have a really fruitful ministry along with, along with your ministry here. Today we're going to look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, if you want to get a little head start and, uh, and head there. And the title of this message is Government. An attitude check. We'll take a look at the things that are that are presented for us here. Before I start, I actually wanted to give you the main idea of the passage, and that is that Christians must submit to and respect the rulers God has appointed. So that's the main idea that we'll see throughout this passage, that Christians must submit to and respect the rulers God has appointed. Now, I know that during this particular time, uh, government and that idea brings a lot of different uh, thoughts to our minds, uh, even mixed emotions that we might have. All that's happening at this particular time, there's a lot of tension in the country. And I just want to ask you, you know, what comes to mind when I mention that, that word government? You know, some of you immediately might think of taxes. Because that's where we uh, we're, we're really the rubber meets the road for us. Something that we have an obligation to. Others, uh, you know, might have a real uh, sense of anger and frustration over all that's happening in our government. We can think of uh, maybe wasted monies, fighting within the government, and inability to solve major problems with with our outstanding debt and Social Security and these different types of things. And others, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you might think to yourself, well, you know, I'm really thankful for our government. When we look at the big picture, when you think of the freedom that we have in our country and all of the blessings we enjoy, at the end of the day, you might say to yourself, despite all these problems, I'm thankful for what the Lord has given us here in the United States. And I think deep down inside, Many of us feel that way, but uh, I know at least in my life, I can bounce back and forth between all these different feelings. On one hand, I can think to myself, you know, I'm really upset with what's happening. And on the other hand, I remind myself from what I know of God's Word that I still need to be thankful and have uh, a proper response and attitude uh, regardless of what's going on. And as we're going to see here in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, when the Bible's principles are not contradicted by our leaders, there's really only one proper attitude for God's people toward government, and that's submission. So we'll see that as we go along here, and we're going to see from this very straightforward passage uh, written by the Apostle Paul that our attitude toward government should be one of submission, and respect. And as we read along, I think that will be become apparent. It's a very straightforward passage. There's nothing real tricky or, or complex about it, but it does have very important truths for us that I think are very timely at this point because uh, it's very easy to watch the news, 
read articles on the internet, talk to your friends and family, and come away from all of that with a very negative attitude and sometimes even a sinful attitude toward all that's happening in Washington and all that's going on in our country. So hopefully uh, this passage will be a little bit of a corrective for us and refocus our thinking so that we're better able to uh, think about what's happening and also pray for our leaders ultimately to uh, you know, implore God to help. Because as we all know, as Christians, we're sinful people. But our leaders, many of whom are not Christians, are even more in need of God's grace in their lives. So that's what we're really focused on looking at these different aspects. So let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And as we start off here, we see in verses uh, 1 through 5 of this passage a very simple principle. Uh, We must submit to the rulers God has appointed to enjoy their favor and avoid their wrath. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? (laughs) But this is uh, the point of the passage, really, that we are to have this attitude of submission. And as we go through starting with uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul provides two main reasons in support of our need for submission. The first reason is stated in the second half of verse 1. So we see initially every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Whenever we see those fours, especially in the New Testament, those are indicators that we have a reason coming for what was just said. And that's exactly what Paul does in this passage. He does that throughout Romans and in lots of the other books of the New Testament that he wrote. And he tells us here the first reason we need to have this attitude of submission is that there is no authority except from God. And those which exist, those authorities which exist, are established by God. So what Paul is trying to bring into focus for these Roman Christians is that God is the one who has established the authorities that are in existence right now. So for them, it meant one thing. You know, they had to think of their context, the Roman government under which they they lived and uh, served as Christians. For us, we're in the United States of America, many years removed from what was happening then, but we have the exact same message and the same sure word from God that we can follow today. So as we, as we think about this idea that God has established the rulers that exist, I want to look at a few different passages, uh, one of which is over in Daniel chapter 4, if you'll turn there. In Daniel chapter 4, the Bible presents God, the Father, as the sovereign ruler over all creation. And part of his domain as ruler is to appoint rulers under him at uh, all the different levels of civil government. And Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel's interaction with Nebuchadnezzar gives us a lot of very interesting and important information about God's sovereignty over the appointment of leaders. 
And this obviously is uh, the time of Nebuchadnezzar ruling the Babylonian Empire as, as really the, the greatest leader on earth at that time. He had nearly absolute power under God's sovereignty, so he was a tremendously wealthy and powerful ruler, able to dominate different nations almost at will. So here in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, I picked out a few passages that, uh, that point this out, that God is the one who is actually in control of the appointment of these leaders. And this is after, um, after a vision that Nebuchadnezzar had received in verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the message and the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. If you think back to the story throughout the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn a very painful lesson And we see a little bit more of that when we turn over to verses 24 and 25 in Daniel 4. Daniel is going to give the interpretation of the dream. And a part of that is found here. He says, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you may be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over to you, over you, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever He wishes. And finally, if you go to verses 34 and 35, here we see Nebuchadnezzar having gone through his great trial of seven years really living like an animal out in his backyard. He was, he was suffering this, uh, this condition which literally had him acting as an animal. And when he came to his senses, he was able to think clearly about the situation and see what God had actually done in his life. So in verses uh, 34 and 35 it says, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? And if you really think to yourself, I'll just be honest with you, you know, if you'll be honest with yourself. Oftentimes, that's actually the question that we ask. We say, what have you done? Because as Christians, we we know these truths. We know that God has appointed our president, members of the Congress, mayors, police officers, all these different people in different levels of the government. But sometimes we ask that very question, what have you done? Or we think to ourselves, how could it be that you know we prayed so hard for this individual to be elected and it didn't go this way, so now we have so many years under a particular person? And really, when we start to ask that question, what we need to do is step back and think to ourselves that it's actually God who's in control of the outcome of that election, all that's happening in world politics right now. So it's not in any way out of his control and it's also not all up to us so for example if you know just the right amount of voters didn't make it out it doesn't mean that somehow the political efforts or our efforts might have failed or anything like that but it's God who's in control of the appointment of these leaders and that's what we really have to understand and if we go back over to Romans 13 we'll look at a little more detail of the passage So in Romans 13, in verse 1, going back to the first part of the verse, it says that every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So this is uh, an all-inclusive statement. It includes Christians 
and non-Christians. There's really no exclusion whatsoever. There's, there's no way to wiggle out of this or to convince ourselves that somehow we're uh, able to sidestep this commandment. But we are, in, a, in, uh, in fact, to be in subjection. And really, when it talks about governing authorities, I just try to simplify that by saying rulers. That's probably a good way to think about it. It's just a person in the government who is in a position of authority over us at all the different levels you can think of. So it's really as simple as that. And I wanted you also to think for a second about the Apostle Paul at this time. Now, you have to remember that at the time of the writing of the Book of Romans, it was about A.D. 56, right around that time period. And at that time, he was living under the rule of the Emperor Nero. Nero was known for many you know, wild things that he did, um, almost crazy things when we think back on it. It had the whole situation of the, the fire in Rome and persecution of Christians and just you know, wild things in his personal life. So it might be tempting to think, okay, Paul, you can tell us this or you can tell the Roman Christians these things, but you might not have had to experience what we're going through, for example. You know, upheaval in financial markets, uh, strange laws that are coming into effect in our in our country that we, you know, question uh, Christian liberties that you know are threatened. Those kind of things we might think to ourselves. Well, Paul isn't really, you know, thinking the way that we're thinking here in 2011. But you have to remember that he lived some 13 years under Nero's reign and eventually was martyred under his reign. So this isn't some theory. You know, that Paul had in his mind of how our attitude is supposed to be, you know, something that he just dreamt up or something that he came up with that was detached from his actual practice. He had to live every day under the rule of the Roman government. As a citizen, he had certain privileges, certainly, but he still, as a Christian citizen, had all types of danger from persecution and things of this nature. So Paul actually knew what it meant to live out these these principles. And another thing that we see here in in the first verse, it says that every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Notice that there's no qualification in that term. There, there's nothing to say that we need to be submissive based upon their competency or their moral character or anything like that. So what we're called upon to do is be submissive despite the shortcomings of our leaders. So there's an overarching principle here that says, yes, you are in subjection and need to submit to these leaders, but it's because God has put them where they are. So it's, it's not because we look just at the leaders and decide based upon their moral qualities or how competent they are that we're going to be submissive. It's because God has put them in that place that we need to submit to their rule. Now, there are a lot of examples in the New Testament. Relationships in the church, our workplaces, our families, where this idea of submission to authority is seen. For example, I'll read a few to you in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 16. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren... You know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. So Paul was call upon, calling upon the Corinthians to be in subjection to their spiritual leaders. We also see that when it comes to Christian masters and slaves in Titus 2.9 and by extension, employers and employees, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And that, that too, can be very difficult at times. You know, a slave and master situation is one thing, you know, where you, you might not have the rights you might enjoy at your, at your company or in your workplace. So it can be difficult enough for an employee to have a submissive attitude 
uh, toward their employer or boss, you can imagine the, the master-slave relationship, how that would be difficult, but nonetheless, Paul calls, calls upon them to do that. And we see the same thing even within the church and our family relationships. In Ephesians 5, 24 through 25, Paul says, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything, and so that we don't leave out the husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in the church, we have a submission to Christ, our head. We have a mutual submission to one another, as uh, is spoken about in different passages in the New Testament. And also there's a hierarchy of authority and submission even within our families that we recognize. The husband, the wife, the two of them uh, in authority over the children. So this pattern is seen throughout life, and it exists, as we know, in government as well. And really, there are a number of passages that, that point to these truths, but at this point, it's also important to recognize there are situations in which we will not be able to submit to our government or obey the government without uh, consulting God's word, going by our conscience, those kind of things. So there are examples like that that we could point to. For example, uh, back in Exodus, we see in Exodus chapter 1, the Hebrew midwives. You remember the story where the Pharaoh had commanded the male children that were born that they were to be murdered. And at that point, the Hebrew midwives had to make a decision that they were going to obey the God of Israel rather than the Pharaoh. So there will be situations like that we, we probably, at this point, don't face a lot of those, but there have certainly been lots of examples in the Bible and throughout church history where men and women have had to decide to obey God rather than man when what was commanded of them by the government clearly contradicted God's word. So another example of that would be Daniel chapter 3. You remember uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar and you know everybody was commanded at that point to bow down and worship the image that he had set up to himself and they refused to do that and then the fiery furnace uh, situation happened after that so many many believers throughout history have had to make really a life or death type of choice like that where they've had to decide um, I know I know that God has put this leader in this place but at this point, because of this leader's sinful rebellion against God, he's, he's commanding me to do something that I cannot do. And at that point, that is where we have to draw the line. So we even see that, uh, a very stark example, in Acts chapter 5. And if you turn there with me, this is actually a very, very powerful passage because we think of the Hebrew midwives or we think of Daniel's, uh, friend situation, and we say, well, those are a little different than those in the Old Testament, a little something different happening there. But in Acts chapter 5, if you go to verses 27 and 29, we'll look through there and see that the early church also dealt with this same temptation to, to give in to the pressure of the authorities instead of obeying God's word. And the, uh, at this time, the church was beginning to grow. The apostles were out boldly preaching after they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the word of God was spreading. These same leaders that tried and murdered Jesus, the apostles now had to face with a new uh, boldness, like I said. So here they are in verse 27. It says, When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And I think that's really a challenge to us if you think about it, because at this point in time, we have a lot of freedom. We have all the freedom that we want to go out and share the gospel with people 
And that, that could certainly change in the future and in other countries. That's certainly not the case, that they have that freedom. But other believers, even, even right now in 2011, have that decision to make. Am I going to obey God to carry out the Great Commission, or am I going to shrink back from that because the leaders have threatened whatever they might have done? And also, if you look at uh, verses 40 and 42 of Acts chapter 5, they suffered for their decision. They did have to suffer just like Daniel's friends went into the, uh, the fiery furnace and were protected. But here in verse 40 of Acts 5, it says they took his advice. This is uh, after the revered Gamaliel had told the uh, Jewish leaders to make sure that you don't do anything that would uh, you know, really be an offense to God with these men preaching this word because Gamaliel's counsel was if this is really from God, there's no way that you're going to be able to stop the spread of God's word and what's happening here in the name of Jesus. So they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, which as we know would would have been a severe beating they received, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So you would think to yourself, after a beating, being told by the authorities, I mean, they're giving me an ultimatum here. Do not do this again. Do not go out and keep preaching in this name. So they went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here, looking back, we have this great example of how the apostles were willing to stand up and in the face of all types of opposition, threats of death, and everything else, they were willing to preach God's word. But for us, the thing to keep in mind is that this type of situation is really the only allowance we have to deliberately disobey the government. So if we have a command from the government to do this or that, we have to obey If there are laws on the books that tell us we need to do a whole variety of things, we need to follow those laws and obey, except when it encroaches upon God's word and would cause us to sin. So that is really the only allowance that we have. Now, if we uh, go back to Romans chapter 13... We'll look more at uh, verses 1 and 2 here. You know, I just thought to myself as I was, uh, as I was typing this out, there, there are still situations, uh, I was trying to think of the gospel and other practical situations we might run into, and some of you in your, in your work careers, you might have run into that old, uh, you know, the boss or the owner tells you when the phone call comes in, tell them I'm not here. You might have run into that one before where you feel pressure in one way or another to lie for somebody that's above you. And I've tried to make it a point in my life to make sure I don't do that. You know, and I would encourage you to do that as well, even if you say, you know, something to the effect that I can take a message for the person, you know, or or just something like that so you're not outright lying for your, your superior. But that's one of those things that, um, where really the rubber meets the road and we're forced to make a decision to obey God, whatever the consequences might be, you know, our boss's disfavor. So I thought that was one to really keep in mind. Now here in, uh, in verse 2, we see that a lack of submission when it is, um, when it is appropriate to submit carries consequences. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 2. He says, because, in verse 1, that's what the therefore is indicating, because of what I've said in verse 1, that God has appointed these rulers, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So this condemnation is really God's judgment against that disobedience being carried out by the rulers. So it is God disapproving of that resistance and carrying out his, 
his uh, discipline or punishment through the rulers. And the other thing to keep in mind is that what Paul is really after here, so that we can focus in on it, is not an occasional sin in this area, not where we have occasionally resisted the government in our our attitudes, our actions, um, those kind of things, but really it's a, a steady, persistent rebellion against the government. That's what he has in mind here, that those who think to themselves that I do not need to be under the authority of the government, I, I reject authority in general, that kind of mindset where they, they bristle against authority and do not want to be subje- subject to the authority that God has put over them, that's really what Paul has in mind, but it serves as a warning, obviously, to the Roman Christians and to us. But he says that those who have opposed will receive condemnation. And it's, a, it's really a warning to us to make sure that we're doing what's right. You know, we know what, what the right thing to do is. That's usually not the problem. We normally will have good teaching from the Bible, have a faithful pastor week after week telling us what the right thing to do is. Our problem usually comes when we implement those right things and, and day by day try to live out our faith. So we have this this uh, admonition from Paul to to submit in this area. And this concept, just going back to this idea that God, his authority is and discipline in these things is meted out through the rulers, it's really not uh, a lot different than the way that we teach children. We explain to them that God has placed me and your mother in a position of authority over you so that if you rebel against our authority, you're actually rebelling against God's authority. So it's not a lot different. That's the same type of idea that Paul is communicating here. Now, in verses 3 and 4, he gives a second reason for our submission, and it's marked off again by another 4. So in verse 3, he says, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, which is the rulers, the governing authorities, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So God appointed our rulers as his servants to reward good and punish evil. And he wants our rulers to reward good, and he wants them to punish evil. So this is part of uh, God's plan. Ideally, rulers would do that. They would uh, reward good, encourage citizens to, to do the right thing. We can obviously think of examples uh, in the past, even in the recent past, of people like Hitler's and Stalin's and Saddam Hussein's who really abused their people. So that would be a sinful use of their authority. But ideally, even in our own government, we're encouraged to obey the laws. You know, we're encouraged to keep peace. And in return, the government promises to provide us safety, protection, peace, all of these things that we want. So government exists to, to keep an orderly society Uh, police officers all the way up on up. They are there to protect our freedoms and that kind of thing that we enjoy here. But also, they they do bear a sword. So we see as far back as Genesis uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 that God instituted capital punishment. He said at that point, whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Jesus restates that same idea in Matthew 26 and verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, which is Peter, if you remember, Peter had, had uh, wanted to protect Jesus, and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. That was Malchus. Lost his ear there, and Jesus later healed him, but... Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. 
so he was reiterating that same thought all the way back from Genesis 9-6 that if we take a man's life, our life will be required of us. And ideally that's, that's the way it would work and it does work that way in certain states. So, um, What Paul is pointing out here is that you have a decision to make and I have a decision to make. If we want to live without fear of the authorities, it's very simple. We just submit. We just do what we're supposed to do. If we step out of that protection that we have by doing good, if we step out from underneath that and decide to ourselves we'll, we'll be lawless or rebellious, government also serves that function or that purpose to punish um, all the way up to the death penalty if necessary. And what I was thinking about as I was going through this, um, living without this fear of the government or the authorities' wrath, there are lots of things that, that we have to decide day to day, you know, whether we're going to submit to the government or whether we're not going to. And it comes down to simple things like uh, driving your car, whether or not you're going to speed. You know, if you, if you obey the speed limit, at least close to the speed limit, you know, you don't, you don't need radar detectors. You don't need to be constantly looking over your shoulder, looking for the police. Uh, there are other things like how we do our taxes. You know, if we do our taxes in an ethical way and actually pay them, we don't have to worry about, um, we don't have to worry about penalties and all of these things that are threatened. And I, I've talked to people at different times, and I've read things about people making certain arguments. Well, you know, because of the way such and such was written, we don't really have to pay taxes. And that's fine to make that argument, but you just have to realize you, may, you might be making that argument to the person serving you your food in jail. Because when we have something in writing like pay your taxes, uh, that kind of thing is binding on us. So we don't have the latitude to say, you know, I object. I object to paying these taxes because eventually that will catch up to us. Uh, same thing with uh, business dealings. You know, we need to be honest in our workplaces and in the dealings that we have. So we, we really need to put forth an effort to live out our faith in these areas because if we decide that we're going to play with, with fire in this way, we're going to be burned. Eventually these type of things will catch up to us because the government does bear that sword and it's not in vain that they bear it. And that's the other thing we have to think about, going back to what Paul's saying, that he's appointed these leaders and government in general. This is actually what God wants. God wants the government to maintain order, and he wants the government to punish evildoers. So we can't think to ourselves that somehow we're exempt or we can escape God's will in these different areas. So we need to think about that and we need to think about how in our own lives we can make sure that we're exhibiting this attitude of submission. And in verse 5, he sharpens the focus just a little bit to focus in on our physical and spiritual well-being by really restating what he said. He says, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, avoiding penalties and punishment, but also for conscience' sake. So he adds this uh, point here about conscience, and really he's, he's thinking about conscience in terms of the believer's knowledge of God's will and purposes. He's looking at, it at, he's looking at the conscience as our guide to Christian conduct. So he's not thinking as, as technically about the conscience, this, uh, this warning system that we have that God has placed within us, but he's thinking about the conscience as our guide to our Christian life. And he says, because of conscience, for conscience' sake, we need to submit. And if we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, some of you might have been thinking about uh, 1 Peter and how he presents this very similar wording to what Paul says here. Uh, it's no wonder that thing happens in the Bible because they're obviously receiving revelation from God by the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and inspiration, but also Paul and Peter spent a lot of time together. 
you know, Peter heard directly from Jesus, Paul heard directly from Jesus as, it, as this information was revealed to him. So in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 13 through 17, Peter says a very similar thing to his readers. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So it's sort of that same idea for conscience sake, knowing what God wants of me. Same idea here, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He goes on to say, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So what he's trying to point out there is those who would accuse you as Christians would be silenced because of your submissive attitude to the government. And he says, Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. So we can see how the apostles there are in concert with their instruction to their believers. Now as we move along and back to Romans 13, Paul takes up the issue of taxes. And I know sometimes that can be really hard. (laughs) That can be hard to deal with when we think about taxes. I'll just uh, quickly tell you I was watching a special on one of the science channels. I like astronomy and science and that kind of thing. And I was watching this special about the Hubble telescope where they, when they first put it in place. And if you know anything about that, they had all kinds of problems. You know, it was tremendously expensive. Had to make lots of trips to fix things. And on this particular trip, they were trying to get a solar panel in place on the telescope. And they were having so much trouble and eventually they just had to give up on it. And what they did is they had this very delicate procedure where they would release the, the uh, solar panel into space so that it wouldn't come around and crash back into the telescope. And everybody at NASA on the ground, they were cheering. They were like, yeah, we did it, we did it. And I was thinking to myself, how many of my tax dollars are, are floating out in the space here? You know, when you look at these kind of things, and we can think of lots of examples where There might be waste and excess in our government, but still, Paul brings us back to the point in verses 6 and 7 that we have an obligation to pay our taxes and to respect our leaders. And we see that in verse 6 initially. You know, we must pay taxes and respect the rulers God has appointed. He uses the Roman believers in verse 6 as an example of that. He says that for because of this, because of the role of government, that they provide an orderly society, they punish evil, they serve God in that sense. Because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers and servants of, uh, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So God has put them in this place, and based upon our current system, Our tax dollars obviously support our elected officials and all kinds of other folks in the government. And we can live pleasing lives in that sense by obeying God, paying our taxes, and supporting our government in that way. Even if there are excesses, even if there is waste, really, when it comes down to it, that's not our responsibility. So God's not going to hold us accountable individually for that that, uh, solar panel floating out into space. Our responsibility is just to faithfully and and dutifully pay our taxes. And along with that, we're to show respect. So in verse 7, it says that we're to render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And when we think about this, uh, this is definitely a point of tension, a hard thing to do at times. But we do have clear examples from our Lord that he not only practiced this very thing, but also encouraged his followers to do so. So if you'll turn over uh, quickly to Matthew and to chapter 17. 
in Matthew 17 and verse 24. These are familiar examples, but important to see because at no point do we want to be more Christian than Jesus. You know, we don't want to think to ourselves that we're somehow exempt from something that Jesus himself did. So in verses 24 through 27, it says here, When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the, the two drachma tax? So this was a tax that was used to upkeep the temple, so sort of like a maintenance tax. And he said yes, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel, which was enough to cover the tax for both of them. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So it would be nice in our own lives if we could just go fishing and get our tax money, but Jesus obviously had the ability to work miracles here. But the point is, is that he was concerned that he did what's right and he followed the stipulations of the law at the time and also that his followers did what was right. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 22, one final example of that. Uh, chapter 22 and verses 15 through 22. Here you have the Pharisees always up to no good and trying to trap Jesus. The Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. These were people that would support the Herods, uh, the ruling dynasty at the time, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? So there was a tax that the, uh, the emperor Tiberius at that time had put in place. There was a special coin with his picture that they were to use to pay the tax to him. So you can imagine this probably wasn't popular. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, which is a common unit of measurement. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Because Jesus had confounded their trap by saying that you're to honor the government, to respect them, to do your duty toward the government, and you're also to honor God. So there was no conflict in Jesus' mind. There was no problem that he had. And there's really no problem that we have in that area. We have a responsibility to the government and to God. So this, res uh, this respect and this honor is something that I'll be honest with you, it's a difficult thing. Because I've found in my own life, in the years that I've had an opportunity to vote for presidents, that it's been easier to pray for the president that I voted for than to pray for the one that didn't, you know, that didn't win. And that, uh, that's a very convicting thing because we're told in Scripture to pray for our leaders. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're to pray for their salvation. We're to pray for their ability to do their jobs. And that kind of thing. And I think uh, even with this weekend, you know, we have an opportunity here where we can refocus and pray for our leaders. A lot of times what we do in a situation like this, you know, we have a major bill pending and all types of consequences if the government can't get it done. Instead of just complaining and, you know, speaking negatively about our leaders, we can take the time to pray that God would give them the ability to iron these things out. And we can pray for the President and the Congress that they can work together. And, and not just when there's a crisis. And that's the hard thing. You know, it's easier in a crisis situation to come to God because we feel like, you know, something bad is going to happen to me. But we really 
need to be doing this at all times. We need to be doing it regularly. And that's what Paul uh, tells us in, in multiple books that he's written, in multiple letters. And there are also things, uh, simple things like police officers. You know, sometimes we want to stereotype them and bunch them all into the same mold and just you know, have a very negative attitude toward the, the police, but they actually protect us and they serve to maintain order. And even uh, simple things like Facebook. Some of you might be very internet savvy and use Facebook and all kinds of different social networking um, tools. Just think about the fact that as a Christian, you know, when you start blasting that stuff out there for everybody to read, your Christian friends, your, your non-Christian friends, just think about your testimony. And in light of what Romans 13 tells us, our, our attitude of submission that we should have toward the government, how that looks to them and what kind of message that sends. So that's another thing that you know, can e- easily get out of control, but you have the ability to control it by thinking carefully about what you type and those kind of things. So, again, the the main point, Christians must submit to and respect the rulers God has appointed. So think to yourself ways in which you can refocus, that you can really look at your life and think about, you know, how you might not have lived up to God's standard in these areas, ways that you can improve, ways that you can uh, be more productive in your prayer life regarding this kind of thing. And really, because God has appointed these leaders, they do deserve our respect because of God's appointment. So they deserve our respect and attitude of submission, and that's really the point that Paul is making. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to study your word. We're grateful that you have brought this body of believers together, and through the history of the church, you have had faithful men to preach your word, and we pray that you would bless the ministry under Pastor Elward's care and give many fruitful years of service to the believers here. Specifically, we ask that you would help us to adopt this attitude of submission to our rulers. Help us to be respectful, to think about how we can be a positive influence on other Christians and even unbelievers in the way that we approach matters of government and taxes and the police and authority. Help us to be an example of what Jesus lived out in his own life. And we pray in his name. Amen.